Welcome to the 57th episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today we are talking about UFC Fight Night, Magomed Ankalev versus Tiago Santos. After that, we're going to be taking a look at a couple of fight announcements, and those are going to be some pretty big fights that will take place a little bit later in the year. And then lastly, we are going to look forward to next week's fight card, which is headlined by Tom Espinal and Alexander Volkov. So we're obviously going to start right at the main event of UFC Fight Night, Santos versus Ankalov, and this wasn't really the best main event that you will see all year. Um, at the end of the day, there were just two guys in there that are both very powerful and both very good counter strikers. So when you combine those things, uh, there was a lot of hesitancy. But both fighters still really showed some strong moments, um, showed some good skills. So it wasn't a complete waste because there are some positive things that you can look at um, based off what took place. And looking at Ankalev, who was the winner of that fight, deservedly so, um, the biggest thing was his control and forward pressure. Um even in the moments where Santos was winning, you never you never really felt that Ankalev was going to lose this fight. And that was from an early point. And, you know, even when Santos landed that big, those big shots and dropped Ankalev, um, in that third round, right after that happened, uh, he was able to go right back out, get control, and, and really put Santos back up against the fence. And to Santos's credit, he still fought reasonably well for the position that he was in most of the night. Um, landed some really, really strong leg kicks and in pretty high quantity as well. And then um, he also landed some nice strikes. Um, unfortunately for Santos, he didn't quite land enough. And when there wasn't a lot of grappling and there wasn't a lot of striking going on, um, octagon control is a big thing in terms of scoring, so it goes towards Ankalev. And even if you were to really disregard octagon control at all from that fight, you're still probably walking away with Ankalev because he did have the takedown in the fourth, and he was landing the majority of the better strikes in that fight. So um, the biggest question here is what is next for these guys, and there's a lot of question marks where each of these guys are going to move from here. A lot of people really like Ankalev, and deservedly so. He is a really balanced fighter at 205, has really good striking, very powerful, and he showed that he can go five rounds, which is obviously a quality that you need if you are going to be a champion. But with that being said, I'm not necessarily ready to give him that, that championship um, opportunity next. I think there's a lot of moving pieces at 205 right now. And if you look at the rankings, um, Glover Teixeira is scheduled to fight Yuri Prohashka for the belt. So there's obviously a title challenger in line already. And then after that, you have Jan Blahovich and Alexander Rakic. And I don't remember exactly if that fight got rebooked, but um, they did book that fight. That fight fell through, Jan had to pull out, but it sounds like that fight is going to happen eventually. So, Megamud Ankalev doesn't really have a lot of options. He just beat the number five guy in the world, 
and there's four guys ahead of him that are already booked that really only leaves Anthony Smith left in terms of who he's going to fight next. So that's where I believe he, he he should go. And, you know, that that fight really doesn't do much for him, but his other option would either be to fight behind him in the rankings or wait, and I don't think either of those are incredibly appealing options. So I think Anthony Smith is a good fight where Anthony's going to show you some different looks from what you saw in the Santos fight. And worst case scenario, he adds a really strong name to his resume. And I think that would be a good fight for both Santos, or excuse me, for both Smith and Ankalev because if Smith goes out there and gets a win, he's obviously right back in title contention and beat one of the biggest up-and-comers in the division. And then for Santos, Santos is in an interesting position because I kind of have a group of guys at 205 pounds that need to get matched up, and we're going to see a collection of them, I feel like, get matched up amongst one another. So you've got Santos, who is currently five, but he's going to slide to at least six, um, maybe seven. Um, I think six would be the, the better option. But um, he's going to be in that section of the rankings, Tiago Santos. And then you've got Dominic Reyes at 7, Volkan Ozdemir at 8, and Jamal Hill at 10. So I think you're going to see the, those four guys matched up amongst each other. So, for example, um, I, think the, I think the direction the UFC is going to go is Tiago Santos versus Dominic Reyes, and then Volkan Ozdemir versus Jamal Hill. That's the direction that I would um, predict if I had to if I had to make a prediction, but I think it might make a little more sense to do Jamal Hill and Dominic Reyes and then Tiago Santos and Volkan Ozdemir. I just feel like those matchups are a little bit more beneficial to you know Jamal Hill versus Dominic Reyes makes a lot of sense if you're trying to get Jamal Hill more experience. Dominic Reyes. Um, seasoned veteran, total experience. Um, so so I think Rez versus Hill makes sense. And then Volkan Ozdemir versus Santos also makes sense. You can kind of switch that up a little bit. And then, you know, that could be a little four-fight tourney or four-fighter tourney in that uh, weight class. You could match the winners of each of those fights up with one another. And then, you know, they're, they're in the top five. And then from there, you also have Nikia Kurlov and Paul Craig, who are fighting this, not this weekend. So they'll be on the upcoming fight card. So that could also change the landscape depending how uh, that fight goes. You know, Kurlov and Craig have already fought some of those four guys that I mentioned previously. Um, so they offer less options, but um, I, I wouldn't completely eliminate those names from uh from that group of fighters that that could get matched up so i think there's a lot of fun fights there at 205 that um we're gonna see here take place um based off the the unbooked names like santos like reyes like uh jamal hill and then in the co-main event we had song yudong versus marlon marais and this was I mean, watching Marlon Rice lose is always tough because you can look back on the fond memories of Marlon Rice 
and they are very fond memories. And he has done some incredible things in his career. I mean, his knockout of Eljermaine Sterling's an all-time great knockout. He's got a win over Jose Aldo. And I know some people say he lost that fight, but whether you think Marais won or lost that fight, it was still a very, very good fight. And um, and a a close fight with Jose Aldo is something that many people um, dream of. Uh, Even even pro MMA fighters, if, if they could go three competitive rounds with Aldo, they would be very, very impressed with themselves. So Marlon Marais has had a great career. And to see his recent stretch of fights where he just hasn't held up as well. And because of that, he's lost four fights in a row. And this fight was very similar to that. I mean, Song Yudong is an incredible fighter. Very quick hands. Throws great combos. And when you pair that with Marlon's deteriorating chin, um, Song Yudong was able to connect with a very, very nice right hand that came from a um, unorthodox angle, you know, he count, he comes underneath the arm, um, almost like an uppercut, but not your traditional uppercut. Um, some characteristics of a hook, I don't know how exactly you would classify that, but very, very good punch from a, from an angle that's hard to see coming, and that knocks Marlon Marais out. Very strong performance from Song Yudong, and um, he looked very impressive, and at the end of the day, he is only 24 years old, and he has a ton of UFC experience already, and he's going to go places in this sport, and I'm very, very intrigued to see where he goes from here. For Song Yudong, I think there are a couple possible names that you can look at for his next opponent. I mean, he called out Dominic Cruz. I'm not really the biggest fan of that Dominic Cruz fight. Um, it, it feels weird because the hatchet has been buried between Team Alpha Male and Dominic Cruz. If you didn't know, Song Yudong is a Team Alpha Male member. His head coach is Uriah Faber. So the call-out of Dominic Cruz is a little, you know, is he doing it because he wants to fight Cruz? Is he doing it because Faber said, hey, call out Cruz? There's a lot of questions there. And I think that Dominic Cruz deserves to fight a veteran. He deserves to fight someone ranked higher than him based off his last two fights where um, he took on Casey Kenny, up-and-coming prospect, um, after he got a title shot, right? He gets a title shot and then fights someone who I believe was ranked 15 or maybe even unranked. And then he fights Pedro Munoz, who is a challenge for anybody. And I think Dominic Cruz needs to be rewarded based off his performances in his last two fights rather than getting a 24-year-old up-and-comer who has looked very, very good. So I think a more likely fight for Song Yudong is a Pedro Munhos. Um, I like that matchup. And I think beating Pedro Munhos, that's the type of fight where you beat Munhos and then it's like, okay, you're legit. No offense to Marlon Moraes because he is a great fighter. But as we discussed earlier, you know, he doesn't have the best chin, and he is a beatable beatable opponent. And that's not to say Pedro Munoz is unbeatable, but it's a step up in competition. So I really like that Pedro Munoz, Song Yudong. Um, if not, um, there's also a piece of me that wants to see Sean O'Malley versus Song Yudong. Um, overall, I think we need to get Sean O'Malley on that 274 card in Phoenix. 
So I think the date is going to be more important for Sean O'Malley than anything. But if you can get Song Yudong, that would be a a type of fight where if you beat Song Yudong, that really silences some doubters if you're Sean O'Malley. Because this may not be your veteran, but this is going to be someone who is going to be in a, the division with you for a large period of time. And, you know, we get we got a booking of Marlon Vera versus Rob Font, so that takes some options off the table for both Sean and Song Yudong. So that fight makes a level of sense for for both guys. And then um, for Marlon Marais, I'm really not sure where we're going to go from here. We've got four losses in a row, and um, I believe they're all by knockout. Song Yudong, Marab, Cody, Corey Sanhagen. Um, regardless, it doesn't really matter that much. But I think a fight with Cody Garbrandt makes sense. If Cody Garbrandt wants to jump back to 135, I think they're both in a similar position in their career and have had similar issues. So you can get one of those two guys back on track. However, um, the loser would be in a very bad position, so that would be the counterpoint to that. Um, I, but I, that, fight, that fight does interest me. From there, I'm not sure what you do with Marais if that's not the fight. Um, do you give him another young up-and-comer? Um, do you release him? That's a very real possibility after four straight losses. Does he retire? Um, there's a lot of question marks there, and I'm not sure that anything I say right now is going to answer any, any of those questions just based off, um, you know, I can't predict if the UFC is going to cut somebody. Well, I, I mean, I guess I could, but it's not real product, productive to sit here and say, oh, well, the UFC cut this person for that reason or cut that person for this reason. You know, it really doesn't get us anywhere. So um, Marlon Rice has a lot of questions, mar- question marks around him. I'm sure we'll talk about Marlon Rice at a later date when we have some answers to those questions. But for now, Marlon Rice is probably... Um, closing in on the end of his uh, UFC career. And then from there, we also had a very good fight against Sadiq Yusuf and Alex Caceres. Sadiq Yusuf had a very strong performance. I mean, going three rounds with Caceres is dangerous just because of how slick he can get to your back. I mean, there were a couple moments in that fight where... uh, Caceres gets some control, starts moving to the back, and you're like, oh boy, he's going to find a rear naked choke. Oh boy, he's going to find a rear naked choke. He never did, obviously. But for Sadiq Yusuf to be able to manage that danger and still get out with a win, I think is very impressive. He kicked the leg incredibly well. And going up against someone like Caceres, that is a good game plan. So he kicks that lead leg very well. And... Um, Mixture, he threw some inside, some outside, so very strong in that aspect. And then he also landed some big shots with the hands. So overall, impressed by Sadiq Yusuf. Uh, Yusuf is someone I'm very high on. He he looks very, very good. And this might not be this might not have been the most entertaining fight you'll ever see Sadiq Yusuf in. A lot of people were saying this was going to be fight of the night. This was going to be a tremendous fight. Um, he he controlled it very well. Um, but it wasn't like a, an entertaining barn burner. I think we'll see some of those from Sadiq Yusuf in the near future. It, it just wasn't this one. And 
no hate for that, no hate there, because this was an incredible performance in terms of going out and getting a win. Going out and getting a win is far more important than putting on an, an incredible show and a fight of the night every time you go out there. Um, after the fight, he calls out Bryce Mitchell. I don't hate that, but I don't love it at the same time. I just think there's better options for both guys at this point. Um, Bryce Mitchell obviously fought on that uh, Covington card, Covington Masvidal card, and we didn't talk about him, so I guess we can talk about him for a second here in this. But um, just where Sadiq Yusuf and Bryce Mitchell are, I think they're both going to be um, in the UFC for a while. I don't think you make that fight today. Um, just looking at what we have here, if I'm matching up Sadiq Yusuf, names like Edson Barbosa and Dan Ige are two names that jump off the page of, wow, those would be really fun fights, and they make a level of sense. And then for Bryce Mitchell, I, I really want to see that Giga Chikatse fight. I mean, um, for for Bryce Mitchell, I mean, maybe they move him even further up in the rankings like a Josh Emmett. I, I don't necessarily think that that's going to happen. But Bryce Mitchell versus Giga Chikatse, I think, is, is a strong fight to make in that division. So, um, with that being said, Bryce Mitchell versus Sadiq Youssef, if I saw that pop up on, on Twitter tomorrow and saw that fight was official, I wouldn't be angry about it. I, I just don't think that is the best option for both guys right now. Um, I think they will eventually fight, but I'm not sure that right now is the time to make that fight. And then for Caceres, I'm not necessarily out on him. I think he still is very talented. I think he's going to take on someone who, at 145 pounds just outside of those rankings. He probably won't get another ranked fight. So um, maybe that is Hakeem Dawadu. Maybe that is Billy Quarantillo. Those are the two names that stood out to me. Um, you could also do Dawadu versus Quarantillo. But um, I, think those, I think those are some good fights for Alex Caceres where he's fighting guys who are not, you know, that would do, and, and Billy Quarantillo are, are far from bums and are very good fighters in their own rights. So I think that those would those fights would make sense. And then on the flip side for Dawadu or Quarantillo, if they go out there and beat Caceres, they're, they're probably getting a ranked fighter afterwards. So I think that makes sense for everyone involved in, in that situation. Um, moving forward with this card, we had Khalil Roundtree versus Kyle Robertson. Very, very, very strong performance from Khalil Roundtree. I mean, that finishing sequence was tremendous. I mean, he lands a big shot, and he's really just working towards a finish, and he did so in a way where it was, it's not the, it, it wasn't the typical type of finishing instincts that you see from a fighter. I, I like to talk about finishing instincts where, you know, guys get someone on the cage, they mix to the head, they mix to the body, and they just never let him breathe after they were hurt. Um, that's not exactly how Khalil went out there and got his finish. He hurts Kyle Robertson and then just throws wild shots, big shots, but never anything where you're like, oh, how would you do that? It, it felt like everything he did was effective. And, and I feel like that is a, a type of finishing instincts in, his own, in its own rights where Throwing a soccer kick to the body to a downed opponent is not something a lot of guys are pulling out of the bag of tricks. 
but Khalil Roundtree did it, did it at the perfect time, and it eventually led to that finish. Because if you get kicked in the body like that, you're you're not getting back up. And if you do, like Carl Robertson did, um, you're falling right back down. So overall, very strong finishing instincts and a, a an incredible performance from Khalil Roundtree. And he's now got back to back victories, so he's kind of back back on track. And I think with a win or two more wins, probably probably only, he probably only needs one more, and he'll be fighting ranked opponents at that 205-pound uh, weight class. Um, and then probably the, one of the fights I was looking for the most was Drew Dober versus Terrence McKinney. And before we even talk about what took place in this fight, let me tell you two things. Um, this is going to be a, kind of a long discussion because I'm very interested and intrigued in this fight. And I'm very interested and intrigued in Terrence McKinney as a prospect. So I'm going to go, I'm going to talk a lot about this fight. And then the other thing we're going to discuss real quick is what exactly Terrence McKinney was up against when he stepped into the octagon. Because I feel like that kind of, it's part of this story here, right? Terrence McKinney uh, fought two or three weeks ago, two weeks ago, I believe. And he, he takes this fight on... 10 days notice or so, and those two things are already very tough, right? It's not easy to do. It's just up in there on short notice right after a fight. So, so he's already in, earned incredible respect just based off that. From there, he's facing Drew Dober, and Drew Dober is a wild UFC, or a, a, an established UFC veteran, and wildly above any fighter that Terrence McKinney has ever fought. So he's taking the biggest leap of his career to fight the biggest and toughest fighter he has ever fought on 10 days notice, two weeks after he had previously fought. So Terrence McKinney is going in there with a lot against him. And then he gets in there and he gets off to a tremendous start. I mean, he lands a knee, and that's within 10 seconds. And I don't know whether that knee drops Drew Dober or not, whether that's a slip and a stumble. But he hits Drew Dober with that knee, and when Drew Dober gets back up, he pops him again with with a punch, and that was definitely a knockdown. And Drew Dober gets back up. He lands another knee. He's got some ground and pound in there. Almost gets a finish in 30 to 45 seconds. And then from there, he is just trying to put Drew Dober out. I mean, he threw he he threw a very nice head kick that was on the brink of being illegal. And that's when some of the that's when you'll see some of the best head kicks is when someone has just got up, right? If someone's not straight, standing straight up and you hit him with a head kick, that, that's a good time to get him, right? That's like when Jorge hit Nate and Nate was leaning down, right? Those are good times to throw head kicks. You just got to time them properly or else it's an illegal strike. He times it very, very well. And um, it does, doesn't uh, land 100%, but that's the type of thing where that'll hurt even if you block that. Um, landed one really nice spinning back fist. He did a lot of good work. He did a lot of good work throughout that fight. Um, and then it seems like he got a little tired um, because of the sheer output that he had. Uh, in the first two and a half minutes or so. And then Drew Dober lands a really nice knee up the middle and puts 
puts Terrence McKinney on his back and then follows it up with ground and pound fights over. Now, um, first off, I've talked a lot about McKinney already, but for Drew Dober, you know, this is a great win to go in there and face this early onslaught, stick through that, right? A lot of guys don't have a good enough chin or are not tough enough to make it through what Drew Dober made it through in that fight. So first off, credit to Drew Dober. And that is a veteran, that's a veteran fight, right? You've got the young up-and-comer who hits hits the veteran with everything everything he's got. And then he gets a little tired and the veteran capitalizes. So very, very good fight from Drew Dober. Um, and then from there, you know, Drew Dober calls out um, Bobby Green after the fight and... I'm not sure that that is the fight that I want to see for Drew Dober next. But um, Drew Dober has some good options. Um, I think Bobby Green is going to get rewarded with a main event against a top top 10, top 15 lightweight. So I'm not sure that fight is going to happen next. Now, um, I do think Bobby Green, or excuse me, I do think that Drew Dober is going to get a ranked opponent. Um, just looking, I like the Diego Fajera fight. I think that fight stands out to me, and that's a good introduction to get Drew Dober back into those rankings because he was ranked before he lost to Brad Riddell. And, I mean, in that fight, that fight was madness, and that's an all-time great fight. So I'm not going to hold it over his head that he's got a loss to a ranked guy already. I think we get Drew Dober back in those rankings. And... Um, I think Fajera is a very good introduction back into fighting ranked opponents. Now, um, back to Terrence McKinney, because like I said, I'm very interested in Terrence McKinney as a prospect. Um, Obviously, he goes in there with a lot lot going against him, and he shows a lot of potential, right? The things we've seen from McKinney's three UFC fights, the two things that stick out to me, number one is the raw power, right? Um, The shot he lands to put out for Vola. Tremendous shot. Um, the shots he landed against Dover, great shot. And then his wrestling as well. I mean, he went out there and got some, so a couple takedowns against Dover. He goes in there against Frosty Ham, and I th- it feels, it looks like a slip, or I don't know what happens at the beginning, but he scrambles very well, advances position, and then finds a submission. So, um, very, very strong wrestling to go with that power that he has and that'll let him stay balanced as a fighter you can mix takedowns with heavy shots there's a lot you can do with that so those two things already are are already impressing me right and he is still young he's 27 and he's got a lot of a lot of time to improve and the reason that he lost that Drew Dober fight is because there are some clear things that he needs to fix right but before I list off some of the critiques, it, critiques might be a bad word, but some of the flaws of his performance, the I'm not doing this to insult Terrence McKinney. I'm doing this because I feel like Terrence McKinney has a lot of potential, and I feel like there's like two or three things that Terrence McKinney can do that will elevate his, his game very quickly. And I'm sure that his coaches will look back on this, see, say the same thing or similar things, and Terrence McKinney will improve from this fight, and um, he'll, he'll learn a lot of lessons. So to get into it, right, 
we got to figure out the cardio situation, what's going on with that. Because he did get tired after about two and a half minutes, or he seemed tired. I might be wrong. He might not have been tired. I could be completely off on this one. But he seemed tired, right? Now, is he tired? He's tired. He could be tired for a couple reasons, right? He could be tired because he took this fight on 10 days notice, and who knows what he was doing after the fight. Did he, you know, go to a pizza buffet and have 25 slices of pizza? I mean, there's guys who do stuff like that after they fight. You know, did he go out and party after he fought? You know, who knows? You don't know what Terrence McKinney did after he fought. So um, that could be one thing. The short notice, um, he probably wasn't in the best shape he's ever been in for a fight. So that might not be a a historical problem with Terrence McKinney and and his fighting career. Um, From there, he can also improve that cardio a little bit by, by sizing up the strike selection, right? He lands one really good spinning back fist, and he throws it two more times after that. But, you know, neither time neither time was he really going to hit that, and it wasn't going to be too damaging. You know, um, if you look at even the third one, the third one, Drew Dober missed or ducked it very easily and, and got to a good position after that. So things like that. Um, lower some of the wild actions that we're doing right and and throw some more jabs right throw throw the two behind the jab and put some combos together rather than just throwing some big shots out there because he can land the big shot but we've seen that he can put you out with a straight right right so if you can set up a if you can just set up a straight right throw some more jabs I think that would do wonders for his game because if you're Terrence McKinney you're powerful enough to where you don't need to land a back fist to knock somebody out. You don't need to land a spinning hook kick to knock somebody out. You can knock someone out by just putting a good right hand on them, just putting a good straight on them, putting a good hook on them, right? So I think that's one area where we could improve if, if, if we see some, you know, good strike selection and really just iron out that part of the game. And at the same time, that could have been something that he, him and his, team talked about where, hey, I'm going to throw the kitchen sink at Drew Dober early and try and get him out of there because I might not have the cardio to go all three rounds because I took this on 10 days notice. That's also that's also a possibility. Um, another thing I saw on in, in this Drew Dober fight was he got some takedowns and, and he had some positions on top where he, he really gets eager to throw the ground and pound, right? And is he good at throwing ground and pound? Yes, he's very good at throwing ground and pound. But I'd like to see a little bit more focus on control, advancing position, um, looking for submissions, things like that. Because I watched him do that against Ziam, and he gets him out of there with the rear naked choke, right? So if you're Terrence McKinney, in order to be successful on the ground, you don't need to land massive ground and pound shots. Does that mean not throw ground and pound? No. It just means mix it in a little bit better, right? Um, there's some moments in there where I was like, oh, just stop stop punching, control, 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 and then go back to the punches, right? And and those, like, like I said, that's a small thing. He can have that fixed in a month, less than a month. He could have that fixed very soon. That isn't the type of issue that is going to plague you throughout your entire career because that's a strategic thing and not a physical thing. He it's not that he's not strong enough. You know what I mean? It's not that he's, you know, isn't a good enough striker. He can do these things 
and, and it's just going to take a little while to imp- he's going to take a second to implement and then um like i said just those couple changes if he can improve in some of those areas i think he becomes a much better overall fighter right and i think that's what pushes him from prospect to contender is making some of those small changes and small adjustments and i think that this drew dober fight was a very good step towards that because this fight gave him a lot of experience right he knows what it's like to go in there against someone of drew dober's caliber now right drew dober is a one of the best lightweights in the world right so next time that he goes in there against someone like drew dober or against someone like brad riddell or against someone with a big name and a lot of experience, whether that be, you know, Bobby Green, you know, who knows who he fights down in the future, but I think he will be better prepared based off what happened to him in this fight, and I think he'll be able to put on a better performance. And another thing to talk about here is if you're Terrence McKinney, your stock is up, right? Um, you can you can improve from a loss. Just because Terrence McKinney lost, that doesn't mean his stock goes down, right? He can, if he doesn't take this fight and doesn't put on this performance, he's fighting someone who, you know, many people not might not know the name of, right? He's fighting a lower, a, a guy lower in the UFC, a guy, maybe he's fighting another prospect, maybe he's fighting an older guy on their way out, you know, maybe he's fighting someone who's, you know, one and two in the UFC or two and two in the UFC, but now he's getting to the point where, based off that performance, you have to put him in there with someone not of that caliber, right? You you don't want to put him in there against someone, you know, at the same level as Drew Dober, but, but a level below. So when I was looking, the names that stood out to me were Hazrat, um, Rick Glenn, and Jared Gordon. I think those are guys with some experience, and those are guys who are not quite some of those crazy good guys at 155 pounds that aren't ranked ranked yet, right? This isn't your Joel Alvarez. This isn't your Brad Riddell's ranked, but, you know, this isn't your Bobby Green. This isn't your, you know, it was Armin Sarukian. You know, this isn't one of those guys who you're looking going, oh, this guy is going to be ranked in, in, you know, six months or so. These are someone a level below that who are still going to give Terrence McKinney a fight, but at the same time set him up to be successful in the future. So I think those are just some names where we could see McKinney um, booked in in the near future. And then the last fight on the main card, and the last fight that we are going to talk about is Alex Pereira versus Bruno Silva. Now, this fight was kind of um, not, not the best fight for Alex Pereira because he's going in there against another striker, right? And does he win the fight? Yes. Does he almost get a finish late in the fight? Yes. Was this the best performance that you will ever see from Alex Pereira? No. Um, Because the talk that we've seen about, about Pereira is, you know what, it's very similar to the talk that we've seen about Islam Makhlchev, where before Islam Makhlchev was ever ranked, people were saying he could be a champion at, at 155 pounds. He's one of the best guys in the world. That's the type of talk that we've seen about Alex Pereira based off his kickboxing resume. And 
when you have that type of hype around your name, when people are saying that you are the guy to beat Israel Adesanya, and you go in there against Bruno Silva, who is a great fighter. Bruno Silva is a great, great fighter, right? But he's not Israel Adesanya. He's not Robert Whitaker. He is not Marvin Vittori. He's not Paulo Costa. He's not any of those guys. Is he a good, good fighter? Yeah. Is he one of the elites at 185 pounds? No, unfortunately. So when you go in there against someone like Bruno Silva, you get taken down a couple times, right? Bruno Silva is, you know, he's a striker at the end of the day. If you just look at his resume and who he's fought, go to his topology page. It, every single win is mostly by, by knockout. And when you go in there against someone like that and you get taken down, it's really discouraging because how is he going to get to a fight with Israel Adesanya? He's going to have to go through a wrestler, right? There's so many guys in that division that can take you down, whether that be Vittori, whether that be Hermanson. You know, and if he doesn't show the the proper takedown defense, he is going to get taken down by by other strikers as well. Um, even if you're looking, you've got Andre Muniz, Chris Weidman, Kelvin Castellum, right? There's a lot of guys that that could take him down in those 185 pound rankings. So so that's concern number one. Um, on a positive note, we saw him get up, right? We did see him get up when he got taken down. He wasn't getting taken down and controlled for long periods of time. However, getting taken down and having to work off your back and get up is not the best in terms of energy, right? If you have to get if you get taken down 20 times and have to get up off bottom 20 times, you are gonna be tired. Um, I know he obviously isn't gonna get taken down 20 times in a fight, but it, it adds up quick when you're getting taken down and have to work to get off bottom. It's not easy. It is work to get off bottom. And, and that's concern number one. And concern number two is considering his kickboxing pedigree and considering the fact that many people consider him to be one of the best strikers at 185 pounds, he simply got hit too much, right? There were moments in that fight where I thought Bruno Silva could potentially get him out of there. Now, once again, Bruno Silva is a tremendous fighter and a tremendous striker. However, he is not Israel Adesanya. Like many people say, Alex Pereira will beat Israel Adesanya. And he's not your Robert Whitakers. You know, he's not the elite of the elite, even though he is a very, very good striker with a lot of power. Um, so for me, just seeing him get taken down by a striker... And seeing him get hit as much as he got hit, it was very concerning to me. And I think that sediment is a very popular opinion. And I think the number of people that truly think that Alex Pereira can beat Israel Adesanya, I think that number of people decreased after this fight despite his win. So um, what do we do next if we're Alex Pereira? I think the right move is, right, we got we to gotta get him in the rankings, right? Um at the end of the day, despite my strong critique, right, I usually don't like critiquing fighters like that, but but I, I kind of felt it necessary based on how much we've seen from him um, in terms of the hype. Now, what we need to get him in the rankings, right? Um, Bruno Silva is a very good win. He needs to be fighting a ranked opponent and or, or a borderline ranked guy, right? You know, the, the, the 14, 13, 14, 15 spots are often a re revolving door of ranked uh, in terms of the rankings, 
So um, maybe the, the guy doesn't necessarily have to be ranked, but highly respected type of opponent. And for me, I like the Edmund Shabazian fight. Edmund Shabazian is a highly respected striker. I say we throw him in there with Edmund Shabazian and see what we can get out of it. That is just my opinion on that. And then that's the last fight that we are going to talk about off UFC Fight Night, Santos versus Ankalov. And now we are going to move forward into our news because we do have, I accidentally said two in the intro, but there are three big fight announcements that we need to talk about. One of them we already touched on a little bit. Um, first of all, we have Tony Ferguson versus Michael Chandler being added to UFC 274. This makes 274 a much better card because that that card had good prelims, right? But we needed we needed a couple more fights for that main card. Um, and the bout order is not official yet, but um, they they showed some official fights, and you can find the official fights. And, and they had a really good basis for a strong pay-per-view, right? But you just needed a couple more fights. So this um, Tony Ferguson versus Michael Chandler fight is is a good fight to add to that pay-per-view. And um, this fight is either going to be one of the greatest fights in the history of fighting, in the history of the UFC, in the history of MMA, or it is going to be one of the most depressing fights in MMA history, in UFC history, in the history of fighting. Um you know, we're either going to see Tony Ferguson get knocked out cold. We're either going to see Tony Ferguson get beat up for 15 minutes. We are, or we are going to see Michael Chandler and Tony Ferguson go to war. And if you're asking me what I think is going to happen, um, I'm not 100% sure yet. But I am leaning towards a, a dominant performance from Michael Chandler. Just um, unfortunately, I don't think that Tony Ferguson currently has um, has it like he used to. And that pains me to say because Tony Ferguson is one of my favorite fighters, right? Um, I, my eyes will be tuned on the TV during this fight, but, um, for Tony, if you look at those fights with Gaethje, um, very one-sided. If you look at the fight with, uh, with Oliveira, very one-sided. Same with Benil Dariush. So, um, uh, I'm not overly confident in Tony, but at the same time, if there's anyone crazy enough to go through three completely dominant losses and come back and put on an incredible performance and win, it's Tony Ferguson. So uh, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see what happens. And then we also had Robert Whitaker versus Marvin Vittori get booked. Um, this fight is... Not uh, this fight. I I really like this fight, but it's a weird fight, right? Because well, we'll start with why it's a good fight. Um, Robert Whitaker and Marvin Vittori both coming off losses to Israel Adesanya. They both lost the rematch with Israel Adesanya, and I think that they are probably two the two best guys right now, um, outside of Izzy. And um, maybe outside of Cannoneer, if you want to talk about who's better between Cannoneer and Vittori, you can talk all day. doesn't really matter because Cannoneer is fighting for the belt. So these are the best two guys who currently are not fighting for the belt. And so that's why it's a good fight. However, it's a bad fight because Robert Whitaker and Marvin Vittori, 
what do you do with the guy that wins? You know, if you're Robert Whitaker, you win this fight. You're still ranked number one. You're not getting a re- you're not getting the trilogy fight. If you're Marvin Vittori and you win this fight, you're now ranked number one. Um, but you're not getting that title fight. You're not getting that trilogy fight. Um, so you, the UFC put themselves in a position where they forced that issue that the winner is going to be in a very awkward spot. Now, um, they could have avoided that by doing something like Whitaker versus Costa and Vittori versus Strickland or Vittori versus Brunson or, or, or something along those lines. And then if both those guys win, then you pair them up against each other afterwards. Now the winner's on a two-fight winning streak and has a better case to fight for the title next. Um, so that's just that's just a thought. And um, but but yeah, that's that's the only reason I'm not critically excited for this fight is because I'm like, well, what does the winner do, right? A, a fight really feels like like it's important when you when there's something on the line the question is what is on the line and you can't answer that question right um that's the number one thing that always makes a fight entertaining is what is on the line in most scenarios that is um um the belt that is could be a personal rivalry like colby could be a personal uh, like colby and and Vidal, um or it could simply be position in the rankings and even this like Robert Whitaker if he wins doesn't move if Marvin Vittori wins it, it feels like he he technically moves up but it doesn't feel like he he moves that much um so that's just the reason I'm not completely stoked for for this fight but it, it should be an entertaining fight and it should be fun to watch now the last fight that was announced was a fight night main event Oh, excuse me, Whitaker versus Vittoria got added to 275. Um, I think I forgot to say that earlier. And the last fight that um, we're going to talk about that was booked was Marlon Vera versus Rob Font. Very good fight booking. Um, and I think I think that fight makes a lot of sense. And the winner is going to be in a very good position at 135 to take on um, the elite of that division, whether that be someone like... Um, Although, well, I guess they've already both already fought Aldo, or whether that be someone like Dillashaw or Aljamain coming off a loss, uh, the winner of that is going to get an elite opponent who sets them up for a title shot. So I think this, um, especially if you're Marlon, um, Rob Fault might have to win too, but you know, the winner of this fight is going to be in a very strong position in this bantamweight division. <clears throat> And then um, that was the last piece of news that we had to discuss. All right, so now we are going to move into a discussion on UFC Fight Night. Um, Volkov versus Aspinall, uh, which is the UFC's return to London. So, And this is a very good card, a lot of fun fights. Aspinall versus Volkov, obviously a tremendous main event. Um, I really like Tom Aspinall in this one. I think that he is a good enough striker to where he can deal with some of Volkov's tools. Um, if you let Volkov kick you in the body from distance, if you let Volkov throw some good jabs and some straights, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And I think that Tom Aspinall is a good enough striker to where he can avoid some of those shots, get inside, and, and do some damage on the interior. 
And that's not to say that Volkov can't strike from the inside because he's got a, a good Muay Thai base with elbows and knees. And he also has some nice hooks. But I think I see Tom Aspinall winning those exchanges inside. And I also think Aspinall's patient enough to where he's not going to get himself in unnecessary danger fighting Volkov. And then I also think, like Os- Aspinall as a grappler, um, in some of his previous fights, th- the discussion has been, can he grapple? Um, and I think he's proven that he's a good enough grappler for this heavyweight division. And he's attempted takedowns. I mean, he submitted Andre Arlovsky. And I think this is like a situation where the biggest thing is he's comfortable enough, right? He's comf- comfortable enough to shoot that takedown. A lot of guys don't have that comfort to shoot that takedown. And um, so for him to be comfortable and effective in his wrestling, I think he can um, pair that that very, very good striking he has with his quality grappling to go out there and earn a decision victory. And with that being said, I, I also see a knockout possibly, possibility as well. Just because it's heavyweight, there's always a chance for a knockout, whether that be Aspinall or Volkov. But um, Aspinall specifically because he is a very powerful striker. And then in the co-main, a fight that just screams tremendous fight is Dan Hooker versus Arnold Allen. As long as Dan Hooker's frame holds up moving from lightweight to featherweight, um, that is a concern. Usually I don't... um, I usually don't get concerned when fighters are dropping weight classes, but with Dan Hooker, I get a little concerned because he is big for that 145-pound weight class, and he left that weight class for a reason. So I am a little concerned about that. And Arnold Allen is a tremendous fighter as well, and I, I really could see this fight going either way, but I lean Dan Hooker based off the experience. Um, if he goes in there at 100%, we've seen him go to war with Dustin Poirier and go to war with Paul Felder. I think those experiences demonstrate his character and willingness to go in there and, and get in a brawl. And I think that is going to play a big role in him getting a victory over Arnold Allen. And I think he can do that. And I think the the knees of Dan Hooker will also play a role in that. So um, three-round three fight, I think it goes decision. I think it's going to be a very, very entertaining fight. I think it wins fight of the night. And um, I lean Dan Hooker. Now, if Arnold Allen goes out there and gets a decision win, am I going to be shocked? Absolutely not, because Arnold Allen is a dog. Um, could Arnold Allen find a finish? Yeah. Who knows what Dan, Dan Hooker's chin looks like right now? Um, historically, Dan Hooker has a very good chin. With that being said, Dan Hooker is dropping a weight class, so that chin may be a little compromised. Um, if the chin holds up, I think it's tough for Arnold Allen to find that knockout. So overall, like I said, I'm leaning Dan Hooker in a fight of the night decision um, against Arnold Allen. Now, um, also on the main card, we have Patty Pimblett versus Rodrigo Vargas. And this is an interesting fight because Patty Pimblett is so popular. 
And whether people like it or not, there are people who know who Patty Pimlin is and don't know who Arnold Allen is, right? There's people who know who Patty Pimlet is, but don't know who Dan Hooker is. Patty Pimlet appe- uh, appeals to a very wide audience, right? They're very well known. And he has some very, very strong qualities as a fighter. Um, very powerful. He can go out there and get a finish. Um, he can also um, grapple, right? He's not, uh, he, he's not a one-trick pony. When it comes to that, he can go out there and grapple a little bit. He can find submissions, right? So I lean Patty in this fight. Um, I just don't see Rodrigo Vargas giving him the the biggest problem in the world. And with that being said, I do not think that Patty Pimblant is this guy who's going to eventually get ranked at 155 pounds I just think he has too many holes in his game at the current moment and but I but I think he gets this one done I don't think this one is the fight that derails his hype train so I think he goes out there and I think he can win by knockout or or by decision and even even by submission so um a lot of positives for Patty Pimble going into this one um so, so I'm picking Patty Pimblett. On the main card, welterweight, we also have Gunnar Nelson versus Takashi Sato. Um, give me Gunnar Nelson. Um, anytime we've, you, you've got a veteran like Gunnar Nelson, I, I don't like picking against him, right? And, and that might be a new thing that started recently because I see guys like Jim Miller go out there and get wins all the time. And, um, you know... Takashi Soto is a very good fighter, but um, I just think Gunnar Nelson's got the experience, and um, Soto's last loss was a submission loss to Michael Baeza, so I think Gunnar Nelson can go out there and find a submission and and get this fight over with. Um, Also, I'm not sure that this is the official bout order that I'm looking at, actually. I'm I'm just looking at fights at this point. Ah, This can't be the official bout order. My bad, because there's no way Gunnar Nelson and Takashi Soto's on the main card, but Nikia Kurlov versus Paul Craig isn't. Um, that wouldn't make much sense. So um, just ignore the bout order here. We're just going to talk about um, the best fights. Um, Shin- Shamil Abudarikamov, and that is one of the names I have the hardest time pronouncing, so that's why you usually hear me say Shamil every time I talk about him. He's taking on Sergey. Pavolich. Um, very good fight at heavyweight. These are two guys in that 10, uh, maybe maybe Shamil's 9. Um, nine, 9 to 15 range, and um, winner sets himself up very well. I'm going to lean at Sergey in this one. His only loss is to Alistair Overeem, and um, Shamil... Is just not someone that I'm as high on. Um, I've seen him get finished. You know, he got finished by Dowskis. So I think that um, Sergey should be able to go out there and find a finish in this one. Also, um, on this card, we've got Nikila Kurlov versus Paul Craig. And this is an interesting fight. 
because any fight Paul Craig is in is interesting because that man knows how to grapple, and that is why I am picking Paul Craig. Um, Paul Craig is, is, I don't like picking against Paul Craig. Last time I picked against Paul Craig, he dislocated Jamal Hill's elbow, so I'm not going to do it in this one. Can Nikita Kirilov go out there and get a win? Sure he can. Um, he's got three losses in his in his um, run in the UFC. That's not true. He's got three. Lo- well, he's got way more than three losses. My bad. Um, but his last three losses have been to Megamet Inkolev, Glover Teixeira, and Jan Blachowicz. Three win. Three guys that you do not scoff at in that division. Might be the three best fighters in that division. His other losses are to Misha Kirkinov, Ovin St. Preux, Seo Paelli. Oh, those are his UFC losses, and we're not going to go back prior to the UFC. He's been in the UFC for a long time, but um, the one trend that you do see on Kurlov's, uh in his losses is here is an arm triangle loss, arm triangle loss, Von Fluchoke, guillotine, arm triangle, and then two decision losses. So I think he can submit him is the point I'm trying to make here. And I don't like taking the guy that can get submitted when he's fighting Paul Craig. So give me Paul Craig in that one. Now, another important fight is Jack Shore versus Tamora Valiv. These are two of the better prospects at bantamweight. Um, I'm not going to say either of them are the best just because of how good the prospects are at bantamweight. But these are two very, very good fighters. But um, give me Jack Shore. I just think at this point, um, I'm riding with Jack Shore until he loses because I have been very impressed with every fight I've ever seen Jack Shore in. Um, well, that might not be true, but you get what I'm saying. Um, very good wrestler, very good wrestler. And I think he can go out there and wrestle himself to a victory only 27 years old. So I think he has probably made some improvements as well. Molly McCann versus Louisiana Carolina. Give me Molly McCann. Give me Molly McCann in her hometown. Well, not her hometown, her home country. Fighting on the same card as Patty Pimblett. This just seems like the type of fight that she would go and win. So give me Molly McCann. Um, Some other important fights on this card. We've got Ila Tuporia versus Jai Herbert. Ila Tuporia is, I think, one of the better prospects in the UFC. And especially in that 145-pound division. Once again, a lot of good prospects in that division. But um, I think he's one of the better ones. And this is another situation of, I think, Ila Tuporia is a great fighter. His finish of Ryan Hall was, in, I don't want to say incredible, but um, he approached that fight very well, got out of there with a win, got out of there with a win. Um, who was the other guy he fought where he fought someone and really beat the crap out of him um, and got a really nice finish up against the cage? Damon, Jack, uh, Damon Jackson, I think, is that fight. Showed some very good grappling against Yusuf Zalal. So I think that Ila Tuporia is a very good uh, fighter that has good opportunities to find finishes against Jai Herbert. And then Muhammad 
Mokayev. If you don't know who this guy is, um, be informed. He is probably the best prospect at 125 pounds. The UFC doesn't have a lot of prospects at 125 pounds because they neglect to sign young up-and-comers at 125 pounds like they do other divisions. But don't get me started on that because I could talk about that for a while. Now, Muhammad Mokayev is currently 5-0 in pro MMA. However, he has, I believe, 23 amateur fights, and he is only 21 years of age. And this guy is making his UFC debut, and I am ready to see him in the UFC. And the UFC gave him a good matchup in Cody Duran, where Cody is... A good fighter, right? But Cody's not a ranked guy at 125 pounds. So um, this is going to be a test, right? He's getting tested, but um, he's not getting something impossible. And I'm leaning towards Muhammad Mokayev. And um, let's see what he can do because I am excited to finally see him make his UFC debut. And then um, Nathaniel Wood, um, another young guy at bantamweight who you know hasn't really lived up to the expectations as well in the UFC coming into the UFC with a um, cage warriors belt he was expected to be a lot better has losses to Casey Kenny and John Dotson not terrible losses um, but a lot of people thought he was going to win those fights taking on Vince Morales who is no bum in his own right um, but I do think that Nathaniel Wood can go out there and get this fight done. And then those are really the only fights that I wanted to talk about off of UFC London. The other fights that I did not mention were Mike Grundy versus Makwana Murakani and Elise Reed versus Corey McKenna. Overall, this is an incredible, incredible fight night card. So um, make sure you don't miss that. I'll be talking about it next week. Um, I'll be recapping. I'll probably be talking about a lot of those fights because a lot of those are very interesting fights. And make sure you tune into that. So um, make sure you look out again next Sunday for a new episode. Um, But thank you for um, the week off because I did take the week off to go on spring break. So um, I was a little disappointed I didn't get to talk about Covington and Masvidal because there was a lot of fun stuff on that card. I would I would love to talk about that card, but I missed it. So thank you for your patience in that, and thank you for watching this episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. And hopefully you will be back next week. Goodbye.